You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with J. Daniel Sawyer. Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Brian Humphrey. And you've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. That's right. 20 Minutes With is a segment in which Dave and I get to sit down with some really, really cool people and uh, kick around some uh, some questions about craft. Yeah. And today um, is, is a little bit of a throwback to the very beginning of this whole podcast. It, it really is. It's a, it's a reaching back in the way back machine to step one. And Brian, do you remember that step one when you and I were sitting here trembling behind our microphones? Absolutely. Oh, oh God. Yeah. And, and, and our guest, and I'm not going to give it away, but, <laughs> um, he, you know, he was pivotal in, in kind of jumpstarting us. Cause we didn't know what we were doing. Like exactly. we came out with an episode zero and did this whole like legal aspect. And then he kind of bitch slapped us, <laughs> but in a nice way, with you good know, reason. He's, we were he's wrong. like that. So we were wrong. Yeah. So he came up and he said, absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, Brian, I, we didn't have the opportunity to do the big long uh, 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 intros back then, so now I get a chance right. to do that. And normally there'd be all kinds of stuff in here, you know, what he ate as a child, and and you know when <laughs> you know all of that stuff. I don't have time for that because just his list of accomplishments is going to take yeah. up all the time we have for the intro thing. Uh, dear friends, our our guest host for this episode of Twenty Minutes with author of thirteen books, including Down from Ten, uh, also the gritty. SF spy series The Antithesis Progression Book 3 Due out in December uh, uh, The hard-boiled Comedic noir Clark Lantham series Book 5 Due out in May uh, Two superb resources For writers See, he just gives He just keeps giving And giving It's not just the literary stuff But the non-fiction stuff These resources The first one Throwing Lead uh, A Writer's Guide To Firearms And the People Who Use Them uh, With Mary Mason Superb resource for anyone who has never fired a gun but wants to use guns in their books uh, uh, guys you gotta make this scene and with audiobooks being all on the rage and craze list for every author we have Making Tracks a writer's guide to audiobooks and how to produce them uh, and trust me dear friends our guest writer knows from whence he speaks uh, he is a veteran media producer with well over a decade of experience as an audio producer and a voice actor an indie filmmaker and a fine art photographer uh, although he's quick to point out that the fine art distinction refers to the genre of the photography not necessarily an appraisal of the quality uh, he's, <laughs> he's received Parsec nominations for Down From Ten and Sculpting God and was a Parsec finalist for Predestination uh, he was a regular podcaster from around 2006 to 2010 but recently things have been quiet from his podcasting studio and that's because he's currently in production for the next big push for a return to regular fiction podcasting. Uh, uh, the dude is big on cars, big on science, history, philosophy, scotch, cigars, and, and 
certain hobbies that we won't go into at great length, although we are rated as explicit, so we might get into those later. You never know. Uh, uh, he will <laughs> skip work on a sunny day to drive up the coast with the top down, the throttle open, and the radio loud. Dear friends, please welcome back, after one full year of, of hiatus from the big chair at the round table, Dan Sawyer. J. Daniel Sawyer, thank you, sir, for returning to the roundtable and, and sharing some thoughts with us for this 20 minutes with. We appreciate it, man. Well, you know, the problem with that introduction is that in order to follow it up or live up to it, I'm going to have to get some pasties and do a table dance ooh, on the roundtable. See, and I love that. <laughs> yes. And that's- We're switching to, to video right now. <laughs> Oh dear Lord! Oh dear! No, I think really theater of the mind is going to be best for all parties. You know, there's concerned. a reason I usually say on this side of the camera. <laughs> Roger that. Well, Dan, look, I don't want to waste any time at all. It is a delight and a pleasure to have you back in the chair. So let's get down to our twenty minutes with Jay Daniel Sawyer. Awesome, Dan. Uh, uh, as always, I continue to marvel at the scope and breadth of your field of interest, fields of interests, everything from not only the highly creative uh, uh, artistic work of a fine art photographer, an author, uh, uh, an, uh, a voice actor, uh, which I would I would term as more of the softer arts, but also the very highly technical filmmaking, uh, uh, the audio production side of things. That that scope of experience and the passion that underscores it, uh, I think, is rare in this world. Do you have any idea where that comes from for you in terms of of where that drive, that passion, that that desire to to seek out the next creative thing comes from? Well, there's the real reason, and then there's the rationalization. The rational <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the rationalization is that I um I read about Leonardo da Vinci in junior high and was like. Dude, I got to do that. <laughs> the real reason is that I am desperately easily bored. <laughs> and so, you know, I've got a terminal case of the shinies. It's it's really, really awful. And so in order to, to have a life that doesn't involve me just sort of glibly wandering from one end of a room to another because I've caught sight of a new dust bunny that's a fascinating shape, I you know, I've got to channel that into something. Otherwise, I'll be internally occupied and boring the shit out of everyone else well that that works only so far dan because you know if you're bored you can like go to the movies or play a video game you don't you would rather make a movie or make a video game so there's something more going on here well we've all had the experience of sitting in a you know reading a book or sitting at a film and going you know i could do that better <laughs> yes, <laughs> and indeed. i just said that too many times as a kid and people got sick of hearing it and they said well go for it then otherwise shut up <laughs> and so i said okay i will Excellent. and i didn't always do it better but i at least had a lot of fun right and what was the first thing that you that you that you plied your hand to was it was it writing was it filmmaking Oh, let's. Well, it depends on when you're when you're talking about. Um, there's. I did all of them as a kid, right? You know, family sure. camcorder, markers on poster board for my first. You know, my first book was a was a marker on poster board comic book explaining the backstory of Star Wars, and it's still <laughs> a better version than we got in the prequels. <laughs> but um, I, my first uh, sort of adult, deliberate attempts to 
to go for it were a a little radio drama called Beavis and Butthead versus Darth Vader. Oh my god! <laughs> and a Star Wars uh, fan film called Battle for the Zone, both of which have mercifully disappeared from the internet. But, <laughs> but you still have the masters, don't you? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> and they're still they're still fun for me to listen to. I never subject people to them anymore because they are so. It it very much shows that they were both born out of coming home from college one evening and being kept up all night by two of my brothers who were sharing my old room going back and forth extemporaneously improvising beavis and butthead at each other <laughs> oh, so this, this i drove <laughs> I, I drove 10 hours to get home and then i couldn't sleep because i was laughing so hard all night long <laughs> belly aching we'll see now this this sounds like the beginnings of, of like the concept of a trunk novel this this is your first trunk novel and but in this case it would be audio production that we're talking about yeah, here. that was the first audio production yeah okay all right the first the first the first uh, adult novel came when i was working at a courier company doing a 40-hour weekend with no breaks and bored as hell because I was mostly just dispatching, you know, so eight-hour shifts where I had to be there in case something went wrong but nothing else. So I started writing um, writing for Sirius as an adult. I'd always done it for fun as a kid. And what was that that you were delving into at the, as you were dispatching the goods? That was the first draft of Predestination. Really? And yep. when was that? I, what year was that? 1997. Wow. Wow, holy crap. So we're talking, this thing is is almost two decades in the making. Well, I wrote it. I got halfway through the sequel. The entire story fell apart. I didn't understand why, so I threw it in a drawer. I never intended to see it again. And then years later, um, you know, t- 10, 10, 11 years later, a friend of mine said, you wrote a book once, didn't you? And I said, yeah, and it sucks. He says, I want to see it anyway. So I handed it off to him. I said, I warn you, it sucks. And he came back and he says, you're right, it sucks. But there's a real story there and you should read it again because you might get an idea. So I did and I did. And so I pulled my three favorite scenes out, threw everything else away and rewrote it. Wow. That's great. That's awesome. Now, since then, since since that first serious effort, uh, uh, there have been, you know, over a do- almost a dozen books uh, uh, that have layered themselves into your experience, into your awareness uh, right. of, of that part of your craft. Um, you tend to stay focused on the the. Uh, uh, you certainly <laughs> you're certainly a smart ass. There's no question about that. Um, but <laughs> but, the, but there's but there's also the uh, uh, the spy aspect, the the subterfuge aspect, the mystery <laughs> aspect, uh, uh, and and that seems to be a theme that tends to run through many of your of your books. Um, what, are you, are you trying to say something? Are you, is, is there something there that, that you're hoping to explore more deeply? What's, what's the under underscore of, of that well, genre? There's, there's a, a general, uh, there, there's two things I take for granted in life. One of them is that the universe is the most fabulous puzzle box you could possibly get for your birthday. And I like opening it up and figuring out how the pieces go together. And um, anything with a mystery structure drives the, f- the story forward essentially on obsession and curiosity, which I've got boatloads of both of those. <laughs> so it's a very natural fit for me. The, um, the other part is that, uh, you know, between, you know, being involved with uh, startups and NGOs and church uh, leadership in my younger years in different and academia i have seen 
so many people attempt to fuck over so many people in such creative ways that I acquired, you know, as I, as I learned to write, as I learned to think, I also acquired a healthy degree of low level paranoia. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not, I'm not high level paranoid, but I sort of generally assume that when I'm interacting with someone, they've got an agenda that they may not even be entirely aware of. And I don't have a problem with that, but I do have a lot of fun with it when it comes to writing. <laughs> I love that. I, uh, in, in listening to Dave's vast introduction of, of your works, um, I wrote down some of the things that he named off in terms of genre, because I know that that tends to be one of our favorite topics here. So sci-fi, mystery, hard-boiled noir, nonfiction, steampunk, there's so many different things that you've explored. What is the danger of genre hopping for an author in general? And do you think that audiences today are more or less willing to try new things if that's where the author is taking them? Um, this is the, the kind of question that authors stay up late night at cons in the bar arguing about. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. I, I, my, personal, my personal opinion is that people's tastes are much more ecumenical than publishers give them credit for. Um, I think we've got uh, two decades, starting with Babylon 5, we've got two decades of genre mishmash in the best television series out there that prove the fact that people like a variety in their artistic and entertainment diet. The question of whether they will follow, follow one author across that spectrum is a bit more open. Some people uh, like, um, oh, I've got one author friend who absolutely loves Tamora Pierce fantasy, but absolutely hates her science fiction. But this author also loves science fiction. She just hates the way this particular author does science fiction, right? Huh, right. So, right. so there's how your voice fits with the genre and the and the uh, the reader's expectations of that genre is a complex sort of three-way interaction. So some readers will find you, they'll follow you anywhere. And some readers will find you, and they're not going to be quite so forgiving, so you want to make sure to try to label your genre as clearly as possible. <laughs> right, Otherwise, you right. may make the mistake that people have run into. Now, the classic one is uh, Heinlein, who wrote children's books and wrote books that were, for the time, as close to hardcore porn as you could get without getting prosecuted. <laughs> now, some people love all of his stuff. I'm one of those that loves most of his stuff, aside from a couple of the ones that were really weak that he wrote when he was dying. Um, some people love the children's books, but hate the adult books. And some people break at one or another point along that spectrum. But for years, Heinlein's publishers were not very good about labeling the difference in genre. And so someone would come to him through, I will fear no evil or number of the beast first time out. And they're like, this guy's a raging weirdo, wacky pervert with delusions of brain transplant grandeur. And, stuff. <laughs> and, and they right. would, they would, they would have, they would come to like almost come to fist fights in convention bars with the people who are like, are you kidding? I read, you know, I, I started reading Heinlein when I was 12 and he helped shepherd me to adulthood. And they're looking at you read Heinlein when you're 12 and you're not some kind of weird sex criminal. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? And it would go round and round. And it's because, you know, because 
right. because of a failure with the publisher and, and later the estate to properly label the differences as different genres he was addressing. Sure, sure. And and you mentioned the the you know the current kind of mismatching or um, mixing up of genres. And there seem to be more and more multi-genre labels. When I'm trying to think of how to label sense memory, I've got like psychological <laughs> mystery thriller with a paranormal bent, and I don't even know what that means. So mm-hmm. it's it you know, it's like ordering coffee at Starbucks. So right. <laughs> for you and your, you know, the the stuff that you put out, how do you categorize? And maybe it's more appropriate to say when do you cat at what point do you categorize your books and stories or or label them um and does giving a story multi categorizations open you to wider audiences or does it specialize you down cuz like firefly you know you've got a, a cowboy in space automatically turned off my wife made me crazy to to go see it you know so <laughs> It, but but uh, but that's like my specialization in terms of what I like. Which way does it go? Well, it. Um, you sh- I always label afterward, unless you know. If I'm writing, uh, my series have established rules. Like with the Lantham series, there's always going to be a little flirting with science fiction, but it's never going to actually cross the line, right? Okay. Um, because I live in the Bay Area, it's the home of biotech and future tech, so I can, and they're set two, three years out in the future, where from whenever I write them, so I can always grab at what's next generation to make it exciting and interesting. But um, the Lanthams just they they are mysteries; they don't cross over, and that was the challenge I set for myself when I wrote the first one. I wanted to do an edgy science mystery because those are hard to do. Um, the other ones, I mean, the Antithesis series has its own set of rules, but it's more an aesthetic set of rules rather than necessarily a genre set of rules. Um, everything else I pretty much categorize once I'm done with it. Like, down from 10, I had no idea. Even when I released it as a podcast, I had no idea what to call it. I found, finally just wound up releasing it as straight fiction. Because mm-hmm. literary fiction is the only genre that gets away with blending genres that deeply, right? Right. Sure, um, sure. For most of the rest of them, I often will pull my first readers. So what genre is this, do you think? Uh, <laughs> and sometimes sometimes uh, I, I take what they're saying because there's a consensus. And if they're all over the place, I'll go back and, and look at how genres are generally broken out. Like if there's magic, it's generally fantasy. You can have it. There are a few exceptions. And there's subcategories of fantasy. But if, they, if there's magic going on or if you know that it's future technology, but the reader never finds out it's still magic. So that's fantasy. If there's, you know, people on a quest of some sort, that's an adventure, right? And you just, you break it down like that. Learning the rules of genre is really important for marketing. It's not really important for writing. Yeah. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Dan Sawyer after this brief promotional break. Before the written word, his children preyed upon ancient man. Its Nephilim and worshippers have affected Sumer, the Indus Valley, the founding of Judaism, and even the ancient Egyptian monarchy. The legend of its children, its existence, and the warriors who fight its presence have been passed down from generation to generation. Garaga's children Ancients, the first six stories of Paul Ellard Cooley's Parsec Award-nominated series. On April 1st, 2013, 
own a piece of history by ordering your own signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover, featuring bonus materials never before released. Please visit shadowpublications.com for more information. We don't believe in happy endings. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Dan Sawyer. Now, Dan, walk us through your process a little bit. Like for the most, what's uh, the most recent uh, Clark Lantham mystery that's coming so, out in May? When, what is that one? Uh, it's called He Ain't Heavy. It's, uh, I'm about six, I just crossed the 60,000 word threshold while we were waiting to start here. Woohoo! Um, awesome. The The title comes from the, uh, the old uh, Korean War song, I think it was. Um, he ain't heavy. Soldiers, he's my brother. Yeah. Yep. Soldier is carrying a wounded, uh, wounded buddy, you know, over this, over this terrain out of the theater and people, and he's talking to people and it, Oh man, that, that dude looks heavy. He says, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Right. It's a beautiful song. So this, so the, the, the theme of this particular Lantham book is exploring those kinds of highly intense loyalty based relationships. Okay. The mystery itself is about a billionaire tech entrepreneur who kills himself in front of a pair of cops for no apparent reason. Ooh. Cops rule it a suicide. His, uh, his fiance, who's also a billionaire venture capitalist, doesn't buy it and hires Lantham to try to crack the case. Okay. Now, Walk first of all, that sounds like classic Lantham. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be awesome. Um, now, walk us through the process of the development of this story. Uh, uh, and, and again, mostly for our listeners to get a feel for, you know, a lot of us, myself included, uh, uh, and now I'm the only one on this podcast that hasn't written a book. Um, so, for, <laughs> so for me, um, uh, what, how does that process of, of writing a book look for you, Dan Sawyer? Uh, uh, from from idea to to wherever you are at this point, sixty thousand, seventy thousand words in. Uh, it's a combination of um, exploring an idea, of developing. In this in this case, I'm I'm five books into what's going to be a twelve book series. <laughs> it's supposed to be three books when I started out. Good heavens! Funny how that um, works. Yeah. The, the, I actually have part of the last book written already. I just got to get the characters <laughs> to the point. I'm so, serious. I've just got to get the characters to the point where where what they do in that book will make sense. But yeah, it's called Extinction Tango. It's going to be really, really creepy. So you've written parts of book twelve, and yes. books six through eleven, six through twelve have not been written yet. Gotcha. <laughs> right. Okay, that's that whole you have to have the ending in mind. Right? <laughs> I get you. Okay, that's, that's one of the yeah. I I like to have the ending in mind. Like I've got the I've got the the final four scenes of the antithesis progression written already too. Oh my god. I know exactly where I'm going. I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get there, but I know exactly where I'm going. Okay. Um, that's one of those things for me. Different writers write differently. Like Nathan Lowell writes straight through and then discovers he's he's hit the ending 10,000 words afterwards, right? <laughs> he's like, this isn't going anywhere. And he reads back. He's like, oh, it's because I blew right past the ending. That's the ending, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it depends a lot on how your, how your mind works is how you find it that way. Um, as for this book, the premise of the uh the premise came out of an ethics class that i was in oh about 12 13 years ago it was a it was a sort of live interacting symposium rather than rather than a lecture class and the um prof was positing insoluble moral dilemmas like for example when would uh, you know 
the the ethics of suicide or what happens if you get a murder that's legally homicide but morally justifiable but there's no way any country in the world could make it legally justifiable without opening a whole can of worms what's the what's the ethical situation with that or you know all these other things that you know, really the the really edgy type of questions that make people yell at each other and then want to go and 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 declaim them to the world because they have a different opinion because it's threatening um, it was a lot of fun, and coming home from one of these symposiums, I started thinking about how these kinds of questions would make great stories, and I actually picked five or six of them I wanted to explore in different stories, and I've done those over the years, and this is just one of those questions that came out of this symposium 15 years ago that I felt like I was ready to tackle. So that was, that was the germ of the idea, and then you know where I left everything at the end of Silent Victor – um, the character journey for Lantham and his sidekicks dovetails really nicely with some of the issues that spin off of the particular ethical dilemma I picked. Okay, so so basically, what it is 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 that <laughs> the 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 end of the previous book pretty much said, okay, this is the next book. Yeah, this, this is it, how this is the next step for Lantham to get him to book twelve. Yeah, yeah. I looked over my pile of of Lantham ideas. I had you know a whole. I've got I've got a document with one paragraph, um, some uh, summations of what each book is going to be, and I looked over it and I'm like I actually was intending to do another one about asteroid mining here, but this one needs to come first for a variety of character reasons. So I swapped them around and started doing this one. So the 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 germ of an idea comes from a philosophy class of years ago. Uh, then you sit down, outlining, pantsing, uh, a little bit of both. Uh, I mean, I I know you're not a, a, a lowlian. You're not just sitting there cranking out words until the flow dies, right? Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a connect the dots guy. Okay. Um, so I do you, do you plan out, the dots first, then? I do. They they sometimes change as the story goes along, and I'll get close to you know. I usually have you know for for a, for a story the length of this one, this one's going to be about 80, eighty or ninety thousand words. So I'll have five or six major notes and five or six minor notes I need to hit through the book for it to cover the ground I want it to cover. And I have to get the story to hit those points. Some of them are character points, some of them are plot points, that kind of stuff. And then as I approach one, sometimes I'll find a better way to do it. Like, uh, you know, the, the flow I've established says, well, you were going to hit this character point. But if you inflect it this way, you can add complication that'll reinforce that next plot point you got to hit. And so, I'll, you know, take a left turn and, you know, it's it's about being adaptable. It's kind of like plotting a road trip, right? You know where you're going, more or less, except with Down from 10. I had no idea where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, with Down from 10, I, I wrote, a, I, there's, a, there's a bit in Down from 10 where I quote Agatha Christie's writing process where she would write an entire book, then pick who did it and then go back and retcon in all the clues. Oh, geez. <laughs> I put that in there because that was how I wrote down from 10. You know, oh, I, had, wow. I had this assignment to write this weird story. I had no idea where it was going. I found the end. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Now, how do I make that seem like I meant to go there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually it's that it's a connect the dots kind of thing for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Well, and and real quick, just uh, we're we're practically out of time here, but just one last quick question. Well, uh, you can have as much time as you want. Well, I, I I appreciate that, Dan. <laughs> we we try and adhere to a certain rigorous, okay, maybe not rigorous, <laughs> but uh, a sort of vague notion of time and frame here. 
try is kind of an overstatement. That might be an overstatement too. Yeah, that, that might be overstating <laughs> it as well. But here's 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 a quick question for you, Dan. What is what is your writing superpower? Uh, uh, what 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 is it that Dan Sawyer brings to the team? When somebody says, "Oh crap, we got to get Dan Sawyer on this job because he X," and and then what do you do to to uh, augment or or affirm or or improve upon that asset, that skill, that gift that you bring to the table as a writer? Uh, well, you mean aside from like hitting deadlines? Well, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, if someone pays, if someone brings me a check, I'll hit the deadline. You know, <laughs> we're we're gonna go with more of a crafty, creative, squishy vibe on this one. Um, the one that I keep hearing from from uh, from fans is that I somehow manage to be nearly entirely unpredictable. Wow. With my stories, I think the reason that 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 comes off that way is that I am very easily bored, and if I could see it coming, I don't want to release it. <laughs> so, um, so you're unpredictable unless I'm, doing, unless I'm doing like a Greek tragedy kind of thing where I want every line to lead to one place and the inevitability of doom to settle on your soul. Gotcha. But other than that, I like I like surprises that 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 turn your that turn your head inside out like the usual suspects right i loved the usual suspects yes so you get yeah. to the end not only do you find out that the person you had suspected was the bad guy was wrong in most cases some people figure it out but even the people that figure it out don't figure uh, are hit by the secondary realization that every single clue you've been depending on for your analysis is untrustworthy <laughs> So you've just been completely fucked with and you have no idea what just happened. That's right. Yep. That's right. But yep. you have to form a model anyway, right? That's one of my favorite films. I love I I love the unexpected when it makes you think. Um, now, how do you foster that in your stories? I I, I essentially I at any given point whenever I'm whenever I'm stuck, I think I'm in one character's point of view, for example. And there's the obvious thing that that character in those circumstances with this set of concerns would do. It's, it's, it's automatic. You know, humans tend to be very deterministic this way. But there's always that little wild chaotic element where occasionally there will be something there that's going on in them that they're not aware of that will make them turn left instead of turn right, right? Okay. So I think what is the most insane, unexpected thing that this character could do without breaking character? And then I'll have them do that and see what happens. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And then, and then yeah. from there, uh, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like what John Miro says. He just kind of lets physics do the rest. Uh, uh, yeah, you, very much. Yeah, if this character does X, then that character is going to react in Y sense. And then if that cycle gets too predictable, I'll hop into one of the reactants and introduce a chaotic element there. Right. Bam. Bam. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Well, gentlemen, uh, uh, I'm sitting here. I'm looking at the clock. The clock uh, uh, basically donned a trench coat and a fedora, flipped me off, and uh, uh, walked out the door grabbing a bottle oh, good. of bourbon. We don't need that shit anyway. That's right, exactly. Well, sadly, what that means, Dan, is that we're out of time. Uh, so <laughs> this, this, I, I have had this wonderful sense of nostalgia uh, uh, throughout yep. this whole conversation, and yet layered on top of it is is this sense of of just achievement and wonder and delight uh, that everyone on this podcast at this moment right now have gone has gone through so much and achieved so much 
with so much more ahead. I just I just got this warm, squishy feeling. So, Dan, thank before, you, man. Before you wrap it up, I got to tell you something, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ever since you introduced the show is 20 minutes uh, 20 minutes with yeah dot 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 i cannot help but think of that series of fry and Lori sketches you know welcome to photocopying my genitals with today on photocopying my genitals with we will be photocopying our genitals with gerald maudlin and then they'll have a conversation while photocopying their genitals right oh my god well there was a whole series of those there was you know uh, there was uh, getting lost on the way to the studio with and uh, hysterical. And every time I hear 20 minutes with that series of sketches pops into my head. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I think we could probably do worse than associations with Lori and Fry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but damn, I never actually considered photocopying my genitals for podcasting. <laughs> um, Brian, what do you, you think, should, man? Next week? Uh, you should check um, this. I, I think that might just be pushing it a little too far. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, you may you may have found the threshold past which Brian and I That's will right. not cross. We'll let you. Excellent. We'll let <laughs> you. Bl- here is done. That's right. Exactly. As he crosses that line <laughs> gracefully and just walks off into the darkness, uh, dear friends. With the oh, clock. With the clock. Yes, indeed. Um, now, Brian, what are you what are you taking from our from our twenty minutes with besides that wonderful feeling of nostalgia and 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 right. and warm squishiness. I, you know, I want to go back to something that Dan said right near the beginning because I just I loved it, but I didn't want to like jump in and ruin the mood. Um, when he said that the universe uh, being the best puzzle box that you could get for Christmas, I just think that's <laughs> such a brilliant way to put it. Yes, yes, that's actually oh. that's that's what I had written down to on my pad, uh, uh, which <laughs> <laughs> so so typical of us. Um, yes, because really, I mean, when you look at it, that when you look at the world from that perspective, uh, when everything around you is something to be explored, not avoided or or denied or, or put aside, but rather right. understood, uh, uh, then suddenly everything around you is an adventure. Uh, yeah. And that's that's just badass. So I, I I'm I'm just going to totally ride on yours, Brian. And that was I, I completely agree. Uh, Cheater. Yeah, fine. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> Fine. Uh, Dear friends, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, uh, uh, we hope you had as much fun as we did on this little uh, trip to the future via the past and in between. Uh, If you did, feel free to spread the word. Let the world know that the roundtable is indeed out there uh, and one year older and just keeps getting better and better. That's right. Uh, uh, You can do that out on iTunes. You can do that. You know, drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. So many of you have, and it's been awesome to to get your feedback uh, uh, and your insights into the into the organization, into this, into the podcast and the guests and ideas that we're putting out there. Um, you can always leave a comment out on the website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're out on Twitter at Writers Podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Now, friends, we just had a wonderful uh, uh, exploration of Dan Sawyer's craft. We're going to apply that craft. We're going to put that to use in just a couple of days as we workshop a story. And and I'm not even going to be coy about it because it's going to be my story. Uh, uh, it's going to be fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to have Dan and Brian and whoever else we get on board sink their teeth into this thing. But that's a couple of days away. That There's there's time yet to chillax between now and then. Brian, what, sh- what should they be doing between now and, and a couple of days from now? Uh, I say go connect the dots. 
and go right. Oh, hell yes. Absolutely. Connect the dots. Find out what's going to make a person swerve 180 degrees and put all that down. Improve the world with your awesomeness by writing it down and putting it out there. Uh, and friends, you always find what you're looking for. So, so by all means, look for the awesome stuff. Look for the top shelf blue label goodness and you will find it. We will see you in just a couple of days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at Writers Podcast, or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.